I'm guessing if you've been to a wedding, you're very familiar with our, our first reading today from uh, the book of, of Genesis. Plus, it's the second chapter of the Bible, so we pretty much all know uh, this, this story. But it's, it's a beautiful uh, account of, well, creation of a man and woman, and also this kind of that, that institution of, of marriage. And once again, it's chosen very often uh, for uh, uh, wedding readings, and because, well, it just speaks so so profoundly, right? The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable partner for him. And so what does he do from out of the ground, various wild animals and various birds of the air? And he brought them all to the man to see what he was going to call them, but none of them were a suitable partner for him. So the Lord God cast a deep spell, a deep sleep on the man when he was asleep, he took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And what happens, of course, we know the Lord God brings uh, to, to, to Adam this, this, this creation, this beautiful creation. When he brought her to the man, the man said, so Adam said what? This one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman. For out of her man, this one has been taken. And the book of Genesis goes on to say, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and the two of them become one flesh. At this point in the wedding ceremony, all the females in the most part are crying. The uh, father of the bride is crying. And the groomsmen are going, Huh? What's going on here? At least that's just my experience, right? Uh, but once again, it's, it's a beautiful reading because it, it talks about the beauty of a man and woman coming together in one flesh. Now, our gospel reading today, I've only heard of one couple ever choosing for their marriage. And I didn't do the presiding at that marriage either. I would have said no to it. Now, why would we not choose today's gospel per se uh, for a gospel reading at a wedding. Well, the first question is the Pharisees coming to Jesus and asking, hey, Jesus, is it lawful for a husband to divorce his wife? Imagine a groom choosing that one for the wedding, right? Probably wouldn't go over too, too well. <clears throat> but it's actually a very beautiful explanation of marriage and Christ. And marriage in the Catholic Church. So what, what Jesus does is he turns the question, which he often does, on the Pharisees. He's also setting them up. He says, well, what, what does Moses teach about this? What did Moses command you? And they respond, well, Moses permitted a husband to write a bill of divorce and dismiss her. This is what Moses permitted. And this is true. We go back into the Old Testament and we see uh, that a bill of divorce was permitted to be, to be written. And yet, why was it? Well, Jesus says, as he says right now, right? Because of the hardness of your hearts, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God, and he quotes Genesis, created the male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. How profound this is. Jesus goes on to say, together 
What God has joined together, no human being must separate. And those same exact words are actually said during the sacrament of matrimony after the, the, the husband and wife exchanged their vows this yesterday afternoon. Uh, Joe and now Casey Rosenstiel saying those vows. I said, okay, what you two have joined together, no human being uh, can put asunder. No human being must separate. We're not allowed to separate. Well, you have come together because you are joining into this covenant of matrimony between the two of you and God. And it's a covenant of, of love. It's a covenant of togetherness. And it's a covenant for life. But why then did Moses allow for divorce to happen? And why is Jesus changing it up? So we have to go back into the Old Testament. We can imagine, okay, back with Moses, back with the Israelites. Where did he take them out of? He took them out of Egypt. And they've been in Egypt for a long, long time. And what do they see in Egypt? They don't necessarily see a good model of, of marriage. And they don't see it in Egypt and other places as well. What do they see? Is they see that, well, marriage isn't really anything and hardly at all. It's not really raised up to any institution. There's absolutely no rights for, for females back then, none at all. And, and for the Israelites as well, they're kind of giving into a culture like the pagans. And so when Moses gives the law, he understands, I want to raise up the dignity of marriage, at least have some sort of institution, but I can't give them the fullness yet because they don't even know the basic part of a law. And we see this in the Old Testament. We see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's, the, he's this new covenant, but it's, it's this fullness of the covenant uh, as well. You know, Father Michael Schmitz, maybe you've been listening to him, hopefully, the Bible in a year. Uh, it's a podcast, which is, which is going on. Uh, but he uses a good analogy here for the Old Testament. He's saying as God starts to give his law and his rules, per se, to, to this people, he can't give them calculus right away. He must give them basic uh, arithmetic, right? Be like me trying to, to, to be able to learn calculus without knowing addition or subtraction. It's the same with the Israelites. They need to know addition, subtraction, uh, division, multiplication, algebra, and everything I failed after that as well. They need to know, but this is with Jesus as well, as he's teaching them now this fullness of the law. Well, he has time to do this because it's been expounded upon. And so he's teaching them now the fullness. For Moses, we still have them in this, this pagan culture. And of course, we see it over and over again. But he's saying, no, marriage does not permit divorce. Your wife, well, she has rights. Your husband, well, he has rights. And when you exchange those vows, they are for life. Imagine if you came together in, in a marriage ceremony and said the vows and said, you know, I promise you 15 good times and bad things health for three years, and then we'll see how it goes. I don't think anyone would be crying at that time. They'd be saying, what? Only three years? This is what the church says as well. Marriage is for life. Now, we know other Christian religions don't teach this anymore. Yes, we say, yes, marriage is for life, but go ahead, get divorced, get remarried. No big deal. You can do it. There's no, nothing to prohibit you that. In the Catholic Church, we say, well, hold on here. You are married in the eyes of the church. And so the church truly sees it as something that we cannot separate. 
The vows that you've made in your marriage, well, they are lifelong. And they're meant to be. Because you two are coming together in one heart, one mind, one soul, one flesh. And there's an argument sometimes that people say, well, the Catholic Church is just too harsh. You're not realistic. Divorce happens. And we understand that divorce does happen. But do you want the fullness of Christ? Or do you want to say, oh, hardness of hearts, go ahead and let this happen? The church presents the ideal because the ideal is what we want as well. Jesus doubles down on this, by the way. His disciples come back in the house and say, what, what? can you tell me that again? And what does he say? Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Marriage is for life. Now, the Catholic Church also teaches if you are in a marriage, which is an emotional abuse, physical abuse, it's just a dangerous situation, please, please remove yourself from that situation. And we pray for reconciliation. Uh, we, we pray uh, for, for help. We're not called to be in that type of situation. But we also understand and we realize that, well, you realize it a lot more than I do. Marriage sometimes can be tough. Marriage is, it's, it's, it's an agape type of love. What is agape type of love again? It's a total self-gift. I'm giving myself to you out of not only my love, but even more importantly, God's love through me. And I am willing to accept your love, sometimes imperfect, because how I love you as well. It's for all those of you who are, who are married, and it's beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for, for your perseverance. Thank you for, for your witness. And continue to strive to be of that, that one heart, uh, that one mind, that one soul, that, that, that one flesh. And know that God is availing himself to you. He wants to give you that, that matrimonial grace so you may truly give of each, yourself to each other uh, freely and wholeheartedly. And I encourage couples as well, married couples, to, to pray together. So you're going to have the most intimate part of a relationship is when you, when you pray together and you have one heart and one mind to come together uh, in prayer. Uh, there's a quote from, from a saint. His, his name is Saint Exuberi. Not really sure how to say it, but it's a beautiful quote, so I'm going to read it. Uh, but it talks about uh, ideal friendship. And I actually think it speaks more about an ideal marriage, if, if at all possible. Which once again means that even for married couples, you have to continue to be vulnerable with each other. You have to open up your heart towards each other. Uh, remember, when you, when, you, when you say those vows, it's, it's saying, I want to give myself completely to you and even my weaknesses uh, as well. But this is this quote on friendship, but I think it really speaks even more profoundly of marriage. Ideal marriage consists not in two people sitting opposite each other, gazing at each other, but rather in two people sitting next to each other, gazing upon the Lord. Let me repeat that. Ideal marriage, ideal friendship, consists not in two people sitting opposite each other, gazing at each other, but rather in two people sitting next to each other, gazing upon the Lord. And of course, where do we see that most profoundly? Well, in the Holy Family. 
of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. One of my favorite images of the Holy Family is during Christmas time when we have the nativity scene right here. And we have Mary and Joseph simply gazing upon the Lord. And that's what we're called to do as well. But as a married couple, doing it together, sharing that heart, sharing that mind, sharing that soul in a certain sense as well. And when you do, it's not two of you. It's the one of you coming together.